AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point on this Wednesday, January 24th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. Up until one o'clock today, as we typically do, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app. I'll continue mentioning this because I think it's cool and there's only a few more days left to go. There's the chance at six throw hoops tickets downtown Phoenix, all the food, all the drinking drinks included. Uh, and you could be a winner of those pair of tickets to that hoops game sixth row. All you have to do is download the KDOS 1060 app, Apple and Android users. Uh, you can go ahead and go to your, your Google play stores or your Apple app stores, download the app, get yourself registered. So we know who you are and we can assign you as the appropriate winner. If you are selected contest ends through the end of January. So a few days left to go to get yourself uh, registered for those awesome tickets. In addition to that waste management Phoenix open week, it's back and we have general admission tickets for you, a pair for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Those are available too with listener rewards through the KDOS 1060 app. So that's the place to be. Let's toss it on over though to the KDOS1060.com poll question to get things started here in hour number two. And Bob had a great conversation. He always has great conversations with Luke Jones of WNST.com or .net talking all things Ravens. And if you missed it, podcast it over at KDOS1060.com. Who do you have Sunday? Baltimore minus three and a half or Chiefs plus three and a half. And whoa, this has changed since the overwhelming Baltimore favorite in hour one. Chiefs now out in front at 59% of the vote. Baltimore trailing at 41% will officially provide our answer with the results around 1230 today. Tossing it on over to uh, X at KDOS AM 1060, which would be the best choice for Jim Harbaugh leaving for the Chargers or staying at Michigan. Leaving for Chargers is sitting at 69.3%, staying at Michigan at 30.7%. Also now seeing more conflicting reports on what Jim Harbaugh is up to. As you had mentioned to start hour number one, Bob, that uh, Harbaugh was slated to have a second interview with the Falcons. I then saw a report from Jordan Schultz with Bleacher Report that Harbaugh's second interview with the Falcons has been postponed and move to quote another time so we'll see what that means or if it means anything at all yeah in fact i just heard the nfl network update here at the top of the hour and the chargers are trying to keep him in california and they might just hire him now didn't let not even let him go to atlanta one more thing before we get into the 2024 cooperstown class uh that has been announced uh because of the Bucks decision to move on from Adrian Griffin 43 days uh, into his coach or 43 games into his coaching tenure. They have since hired Doc Rivers this morning. Doc Rivers, though, was part of the ESPN and ABC broadcasts. Uh, so now what is 
ESPN and ABC going to do. Apparently, they are leaning towards Doris Burke as just being the lone lead NBA analyst following Doc Rivers' exit. I'm all for that. I mean, I've not listened to any I, – I don't think I've watched a ESPN, NBC game this year. I don't think the, they did any Suns games. If they did, I'd listen to that, so that would be the only one, but whatever. I've always been a huge fan of her. She does a she got a lot of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, build her reputation as a college basketball analyst. She really, she was a tremendous point guard in her day at uh, Providence. Uh, and uh, it, you know, we, I always talk about, you're going to talk baseball here in just a second in Joe Maurer, he's a catcher. I wouldn't be surprised if he wants to be a manager someday that he would be. Seems like in baseball, managers, uh, many managers used to be catchers, whether they be Bob Melvin or many others. Um, and uh, just seems to be kind of a natural progression because their mind's in the game all the time. I would say the same thing about point guards uh, in basketball and whether they become coaches or analysts and so forth, because they're pretty much, if it's a, you know, back in the day, they were you know, actually not everybody ran screen roll or just isolation plays all the time. People actually ran offenses, and a point guard ran the offense. And, you know, I never watched her play back in the day, but by all accounts, she was a tremendous player. And uh, so I'm not surprised that she's as good as she is in an analyst, so I'm all for that. And, uh, yeah, Mike Breen seems to have a really good rapport with no matter who is actually broadcasting with him. That's true. He does seem to facilitate well, get along well with everybody that's uh, with him in those broadcasting roles. You mentioned, though, an ABC game for the Suns. That's tonight against the Mavs. That'll be an ABC game at 630. Okay, and I'll be watching So, uh, because that's what we do. Uh, But uh, there are probably, I don't know, maybe a handful of NBA games uh, during the regular season that I would know maybe looking forward to is kind of stretching it, but uh, um, you know definitely setting aside a you know a little more time than usual to make sure I watch the entire game tonight. Moving into the Baseball Hall of Fame class that was announced, the 2024 Cooperstown class here. Let's get started with the first one, Adrian Beltre. It was his first year on the ballot. Uh, He's one of 12 players with 3,000 hits and 400 home runs going into the Hall of Fame. Specifically for him, it's 3,166 hits, 477 home runs, 1,707 RBIs, an overall batting average of 286. His career, 1998 to 2004 with the Dodgers, 2005 to 2009 with the Mariners, 2010 with the Red Sox, and then 2011 to 2018 with the Rangers. His postseason stats, 28 games, 111 at-bats, 29 hits, 5 home runs, 11 RBIs, and it was a 261 postseason batting average. Yeah, and he was, uh, to me, most and uh, significantly for Beltre, the first thing I'm always going to think about with him is his defense, which is it was elite as a third baseman. And yeah, I've never sat down and actually done a list of this, but you know he might be one of the four or five. In fact, I'm sure he's in the you know, at least he's in the ballpark here, no pun intended. Uh, and one of the best you know four or five third basemen I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of third basemen. I've seen lots of baseball in a hundred years that I've been alive. So you know he's this was a no-brainer. Uh, he also those numbers offensively. I think have been you know, watered down a little bit because he played 
you know, in Dodger Stadium, it was a much more of a pitcher's ballpark than it was a, you know, a hitter's haven, like it has become somewhat now. Uh, he played in Seattle, which has always been a difficult place to hit. He played in Texas, which in the old ballpark in Texas, that was not an easy place to hit at all, as opposed to the new ballpark, which is a little easier, but still a pitcher's ballpark. But but he play, he's played in some une, uneven uh, situations for a hitter uh, for the majority of those at-bats in his career. Uh, so he's the first person in. Second person is Todd Helton, first baseman going in in the sixth year on the ballot. He joins Larry Walker as the only other Rockies player in the Hall of Fame. And for him, his entire career with the Rockies from 1997 to 2013, 2,519 hits, 369 home runs, 1,406 RBIs, a batting average of 316. His postseason career, 15 games, 57 at-bats, 12 hits, 4 RBIs, uh, 211 batting average. Yeah, um, he didn't have much postseason uh, opportunity with playing for Colorado. Uh, to me, uh, he was a good player, uh, the Hall of Really Good and not the Hall of Fame. And uh, certainly playing his entire career, the home games in Colorado, uh, as opposed to the opposite of Beltre, uh, that boosts your numbers tremendously. You got to really be not good at a hitter at all if you can't hit in Colorado. Uh, but he was a good player. But never, ever did it occur to me when he was playing that he's a Hall of Famer. And the final player getting in for 2024, Joe Maurer, first year on the ballot, catcher for him all of his years with the Twins, 2004 to 2018. He won three gold gloves, 2,123 hits, 143 home runs, 923 RBIs, and a 306 batting average. I'm kind of in the middle here. I mean, Beltre to me was a no-brainer. Helton was really. Uh, and uh, Maurer, I, I can understand uh, why he's in because of the numbers that you said. And you know, he was certainly an elite player at the position at the time he played. Uh, you know, maybe occasionally, you know, the high batting average certainly you know, elevates his status, uh, which you know, for a catcher to hit that uh, well is impressive. He also uh, had some injury issues at the end of the year, at the end of his career, I should say, uh, which maybe even uh, would have, I would assume, uh, made his uh, status even loftier than it is now. So I'm in the middle there. I I can understand this one, Um, as opposed to Helton, which I just don't get that one at all. But once again, uh, I think I'm pretty – uh, pretty strict as far as my Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, you know, con- uh, who should be considered, who should be in, etc. I think I have uh, pretty high standards there. I may not have a lot of high standards in other things in life, but uh, Hall of Fame. I think it should be Hall of Fame, and it should be the 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 elite players. And there's too many players that have been just okay or above average, or you know, that that, that are in in all sports that shouldn't be in. Uh, On the other side of the break, there is a couple of other names uh, that remain on the ballot. Another name that has to go to the contemporary ERA committee 
So we'll dive into some of those names on the other side of the break. If you'd like to chime in, though, feel free to do so. 602-260-1060 is the number. If you have an opinion on the 2024 Cooperstown class, if it's uh, getting yourself ready for the AFC championship game this weekend, the NFC championship game this weekend, anything regarding the Suns, or even if you're interested in discussing uh, the Bucks moving on from Adrian Griffin and bringing in Doc Rivers. 602-260-1060 is the number. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you on this Wednesday, January. 24th here in the extra point need social information about kdus am 1060 try kdus1060.com at kdus am 1060 on twitter and facebook.com slash kdus am 1060 Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. Follow along with online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Continuing the 2024 Cooperstown class discussion here, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, Joe Maurer are the three enshrined into 2024. Billy Wagner, relief pitcher, fell five votes short in his second to last year uh, being on the ballot. 73.8% for him. Billy Wagner, a uh, relief pitcher with 422 saves, ranks sixth all-time, 2.31 ERA, 1,196 strikeouts, 300 walks. His career started in 1995 with the Astros to 2003, 2004 to 2005 with the Phillies, 2006 to 2009 with the Mets, 2009 with the Red Sox and 2010 with the Braves. I actually think that if I were a voter for the Hall of Fame, I would have probably more of a difficult time with relief pitchers than any other position because you know, relief pitcher or you know, closers and the way that they're uh, they became used, you know, like what roughly 30 years ago uh, was you know was a whole lot different. Baseball was a whole lot different before that. There's, there's less historical evidence to compare things uh, from, you know, from back in the day to what it is now. And yeah, you know, I, you can make, I can make a better case. Actually, I can make a better case for Billy Wagner than I can Todd Helton. Uh, but the fact that Wagner, you know, some of those you know, numbers are a little you know, misleading because he hung around for longer than he should have hung around. And uh, some of the numbers that were elite when he was with the uh, Astros as a relief pitcher. Remember, he was a starter with the Astros for a little while early in his career, too. So that kind of uh, you know, makes it even more difficult. I th- but bottom line, I think judging relief pitchers and their Hall of Fame status, I would think uh, if I were voting, would be a difficult thing to go about. Do you like this entire process like so the first thing i read is that he fell five votes short in his second to last year so that means he's getting in next year that like this whole process with the percentages and how long to be on the ballot and to wait your turn kind of thing do you like this whole process with how you're putting people in for the baseball hall of fame i actually think that people are on the ballot too long before they move on to wherever they move on to next. And what's next is usually been a joke. 
some of these guys that eventually get inducted after they've been on the ballot for 10 years and don't get in, I don't understand. They haven't become better players in 10-plus years that they you know, were on the ballot before. So now they're in? Uh, I, I just don't get it. I almost wish in all Hall of Fames that you had one chance to get in, and if you're in, you're in. If you're not, you're not, because you're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. Gary Sheffield, uh, 11.6% in his first year, 63.9% in his final year. So now he must rely on the Contemporary ERA Committee, which meets next in 2025. What do you feel about Gary Sheffield and his career? I might be you know, the wrong guy to ask because there are a few players in the last literal you know, 25, 30 years of baseball that I enjoyed watching more than him. I don't think I've ever seen a guy that has, has swung so hard and missed pitches so seldom. Usually, the harder you swing, the less likely you are to hit the ball. Um, and he was just a – I would have been terrified if I were a pitcher and he were up there. It seemed like almost every at-bat in his career, and I watched a lot of him. I actually saw him some when he was in Milwaukee when I was living in Chicago – and I used to go to Brewers games on a regular basis. If I were sitting down the left field line, I would be ducking for cover. Uh, he had more wicked line drives foul than any guy I've ever seen. Uh, uh, he's just a, he was an incredible hitter. He was a shortstop to begin his career, and uh, he was still a good fielder, you know, at least a good you – know, he could throw the ball when he was playing the outfield at the end of his career – uh, but to me, of the I would think he you know, to, to me he's far more uh, accomplished. That's a wrong word too. To me, you know, I watched Sheffield play. Let's put it this way, and thought more than occasionally that this dude's like a Hall of Fame candidate at least, as opposed to a couple of the guys we've already discussed who I never really thought that was the uh, it never crossed my mind while they were playing. Remaining on the ballot, Andrew Jones. He came in at 61.6% of the vote. Uh, his career, 1996 to 2007 with the Braves, 2008 with the Dodgers, 2009 with the Rangers, 2010 with the White Sox. Uh, outfielder, 1,933 hits, 434 home runs. It was a 254 uh, batting average. Ooh, I, ch- I shortchanged him on his career. 2011 and 2012 with the Yankees. Yeah, well, you could. You know, you'd probably like to forget that part anyway. Uh, so you're not you're not shortchanging him on anything there. You just like to leave that part off. Um, he was an unbelievable center fielder. Clearly, the best at his position at the time. I think there is actually that's a position I think is uh, really gotten incredibly better. There's more good. There are more good center fielders right now than I can remember in baseball ever. Uh, but yeah, he was the best of the best at that point, no doubt. Um, also, you know, I, you know, we talked, uh, you know, earlier in the show, there was a comparison in the uh, sports zone. There was a comparison to Ozzie Smith and, uh, and Andrew Jones defensively. And while they were certainly at the top of the level at their respective positions, I think that Ozzie Smith, the fact that he played shortstop, and if you're a shortstop, you're involved in defensive plays on a far more frequent basis than you are if you're an outfielder. Uh, so I think that Jones is uh, is currently uh, not in the Hall of Fame. I think that's the right thing. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. 
Also coming in with 57.1% of the vote, Carlos Beltran, 1998 to 2004 with the Royals, 2004 with the Astros, 2005 to 2011 with the Mets, 2011 also with the Giants, 2012 to 2013 with the Cardinals, 2014 to 2016 with the Yankees, 2016 with the Rangers, 2017 with the Astros for him, 2,725 hits, 435 home runs, and a total batting average of two. Seventy-nine. Good player, no way a Hall of Famer. The one thing I am noticing, though, is just the massive longevity of careers here. Well, yeah, that's true. Even though yeah, he had some injury issues and bounced around quite a bit there, as you mentioned, some of the teams that he played played for. He also, when he was uh, in Houston at one time, the, the, you know, like the first stint with the Astros. He might add one of the greatest, like, two weeks of postseason play ever. I mean, it seemed like he was never going to make it out. And why did they ever pitch to him? I remember thinking, why are they throwing him strikes? Uh, and uh, so he had stretches where he was unbelievable, but I you know, just uh, thought that he was a good player. And once again, a guy that I never thought Hall of Fame. Alex Rodriguez, 34.8% of the vote here. You knew I had to go here. 1994 to 2000 with the Mariners, 2001 to 2003 with the Rangers, then 2004 to 2016 with the Yankees, 3,115 hits, 696 home runs, 2,086 RBIs, and a career batting average of 295. Well, needless to say, the PED thing, and he was suspended for, you know, you know, multiple, I think multiple times, at least one time for a lengthy period of time. I'm sure that the PED, uh, not just allegations, but yeah, he hasn't even denied it at this point. Uh, that plays a role here. Uh, you know, just baseball-wise, no doubt. I mean, he's he was a Hall of Fame-level baseball player. But all the off-the-field stuff with uh, the PEDs, and this should not factor in. But yeah, I think there's uh, been you know, some issues of whether he can get along with others, uh, whether as a uh, teammate when he played. And he certainly had some issues when, uh, when he's been a broadcaster. Uh, you know, there's people that have uh, lost jobs because they didn't get along with Alex Rodriguez, and those people were better at Alex Rodriguez at their job. Do you believe that if you were a part of that PED era, uh, that that automatically disqualifies you? Or uh, should you get in if your stats continue to support that you were a good baseball player? I think they should. That shouldn't even play a role to me, but obviously it has. Uh, the reason it shouldn't is that there were all kinds of things going on in baseball before steroids, whether it be greenies or whatever else back in the day. Uh, it's not like there weren't other performance-enhancing drugs before we had steroid steroid use, which obviously yeah, reached an excessive level uh, during the uh, you know, late 80s, uh, early 90s, throughout the 90s, and into the 2000s. Uh, but uh, to me, that actually shouldn't be a factor, quite frankly. But it obviously has been, and uh, I don't think there's any question that that's why Rodriguez is not in. 
Next player to discuss here, and last player that we'll discuss, Manny Ramirez, 32.5% of the vote, <laughs> 1993 to 2000 with the Guardians, 2001 to 2008 with the Red Sox, 2008 to 2010 with the Dodgers, 2010 with the White Sox, and 2011 with the Rays. For him, 2,574 hits, 555 home runs, 1,831 RBIs, and a career batting average of 312. One of the best natural hitters ever, and uh, and I don't uh, say that without thinking about it. Uh, you know, certainly without a doubt, uh, one of the best right-handed hitters ever. Uh, and uh, once again, you know, steroid use, as I'm sure that uh, this is has to do you know, with him not being in. Uh, I can make a case for him far more, far quicker, and with I think far more conviction than a lot of people that are currently in the Hall of Fame. And, uh, yeah, that dude was – I would have never figured out how to pitch to him. I think there were a lot of uh, pitchers that never figured out how to pitch to him until later in his career when, God forbid, he hung around way too long. That'll do it for our Baseball Hall of Fame conversation. But as a recap, the three players that uh, were announced this morning going into the 2024 class, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Maurer. On the other side of the break, we will dissect today's poll questions. I am seeing this report here from Ian Rappaport that apparently uh, Isaiah Pacheco did not practice today. He has a bit of a toe injury, but he met the media and said that he's ready to go for Sunday. There are more question marks, though, on Joe Tooney's availability at guard for the Kansas City Chiefs. That could loom large and might have something to do with our answer upcoming with the KDOS1060.com poll question. We'll see. We'll do it next here in the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060. Have you downloaded the KDUS AM 1060 skill for Alexa yet? Food. Alexa is frustrated. No matter how many times do you ask, the answer is mail, chicken. Once you're ready, say Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060 to listen to your favorite shows. here on KDOS AM 1060. It is the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. It's time to get into the poll questions for the day and we'll get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question. It involves the AFC Championship game and for the Ravens perspective, Bob caught up with Luke Jones of WNST.net and if you missed any of that conversation, podcast it over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS1060 app. Some great stuff there. As it pertains to the question, who do you have Sunday? Baltimore minus three and a half or Chiefs plus three and a half? Bob, what say you? Okay, before we get to that, the answer here, the alleged answer for me is uh, this line opened three and immediately, like, um, and I mean immediately, there might have been like three people on the planet that got bet minus three with Baltimore, went to three and a half, and uh, to my knowledge, it really hasn't changed hardly anywhere, if anywhere, worldwide. Okay, as far as the bottom line goes, uh, I'm going to go Baltimore three and a half, but I certainly might change my mind. 
uh, before our, our, our uh, Friday spread show uh, during these two hours, or maybe I might change my mind before Sunday's kickoff. A big part of my confusion uh, is because of the Chiefs left guard, Joe Tooney, who suffered a pec injury last Sunday at Buffalo. Uh, The offensive line has not been as good this season, and Tooney hasn't been as good this season. Uh, Right now, I'm assuming that Tooney will not be 100%. There's actually, I know, at least a report out there this morning that he's unlikely to play. I did not get to hear the... uh, you know, we're doing the show here, and Andy Reid has a press conference during our you know, last hour and a half or so. And I heard some of it, but I didn't hear him talk about Tooney, so I'm not sure whether that report comes from what Reid said today or whatever. But even if he does play, I think it's unlikely he's going to be uh, you know, a really top-notch performer. And even if he were 100%, I think it would be difficult for him and the offensive line of the uh, Chiefs to deal with the front seven of what has become a dominant front seven, I will add, uh, from the uh, Baltimore Ravens this year. Now, now I, I, I'm painfully aware, uh, you know, not this year, but in the past I've gone against Patrick Mahomes when he's been an underdog, and that's been not a good idea. Uh, he's 9-1-1 one one against the spread in his career as an underdog. But I do think going into Baltimore this week and playing at Baltimore is really the biggest challenge of the Mahomes-led Chiefs since Mahomes has been like the quarterback. Um, you know, Baltimore, they have, I'm not exaggerating here, they have 15 to 18 really good contributing players on the defensive side of the ball. And that's a number to me that's almost impossible to comprehend for somebody to watch the Cardinals defense for four months, and they had less than a handful of even decent players on that side of the ball. The Ravens defense is why right now I'm leaning towards them. However, because of uh, you know the over my overall reluctance uh, here, there, there, there's there's almost zero chance I'm going to actually bet on this game. Yeah, so I think we've chronicled. Throughout the season, the offensive line woes for the Chiefs, especially the tackle positions. Justin Matabuke for the Ravens has been unbelievable. You could even toss in Jadavian Clowney, uh, throwing yes. back the clock with how good he's been. Um, even, even a little bit of impact there from former Patriots player um, Kyle Van Noy for the Baltimore Ravens has had a bit of an impact at times. That defensive front for the Ravens is really good. So you already have the tackle problems, if you will. Then if Joe Tooney cannot play or if he's not really effective, if he does try to play, uh, getting some interior pressure as well, um, how is that going to make life very difficult for Patrick Mahomes? I think that it kind of set up nicely against the Bills thinking that Travis Kelsey was going to get more involved because of the linebacker injuries to the Bills, and we saw that come to fruition. We saw uh, some of the issues that they had with the run game and how Isaiah Pacheco would be able to explore some of that. So how is Isaiah Pacheco going to be able to offset some of this pass rush for uh, the Baltimore Ravens, and can he offset any of that? So I think that there are some concerns here with the Chiefs. And then I don't know if you feel like that – 
the the connection between Mahomes and his wide receiver core is strong enough to kind of withstand some of this. I'm just now throwing it to a spot kind of thing. You better be there because the pressure's coming at me. Um, or is he, you know, is that sort of timing going to be there? We haven't really seen that great of a connection between them this entire season. It's hard, though, to go against Patrick Mahomes because he continues to show us how good he is. He continues to show us just how special he is and how in ways he can continue to elevate his game as the playoffs roll on. Flipping this to the Baltimore side of things, I mean, we dissected there the defense. Offensively, they're playing really well. Uh, Lamar showed, in the, especially in that second half there against the Texans, his connections that he has with Isaiah Likely, the wide receiver Zay Flowers. Uh, they've been able to figure out how to withstand all of the injuries that they've sustained in the running back position. Now, the question, though, is this is now an AFC uh, playoff championship game. The pressure is mounting a little bit more. We saw uh, Lamar have a good game and kind of shed some of that playoff narrative here. Now we enter in AFC championship, Super Bowl berth on the line. Is all of that going to continue forward that he sheds all of that narrative or will a little bit creep in? if the pressure can get to him because that's where something that the Chiefs are very stout with with Chris Jones and George Karloftis and uh, the other question here is how's Willie Gay's health Uh, so that's going to be kind of something to monitor on the Chiefs side of things I think as I'm sitting here on a Wednesday what I'm saying is is I really have made no decision yet if I have to answer the question though seeing the hook three and a half makes me lean in the direction of the Chiefs I'll just add one thing. I uh, think the Willie Gay thing that you brought up is really good, uh, really uh, important. He was obviously the guy that was going to spy or did until he got hurt last Sunday against uh, you know, against uh, against Allen, Josh Allen, and I assume that he uh, is going to be the primary spy against Lamar Jackson this week. The masses have shifted their philosophy here as time has gone on, and the Chiefs are now out in front at 65% of the vote, Baltimore at 35%. This is the KDOS1060.com poll question. I think we can both say that our answers are subject to change on Friday, right? True. Uh, And like I mentioned, I would be stunned if I actually ended up betting on this game. Over on X at KDOS AM 1060, which would be the best choice for Jim Harbaugh, leaving for the Chargers or staying at Michigan? You know, I don't know Jim Harbaugh personally, but according to pretty much what everyone says, it burns him that he does not have a Super Bowl. So trying to get himself back into the NFL has been something that he is, I I think, maybe I could fairly say desperately wanted to do. Uh, A particular opportunity presenting itself with the Chargers, having a quarterback like Justin Herbert. I know that you're in a salary cap situation. Smarter minds with analytics might be able to figure out how to to finagle things and work that out. Uh, But he's a winner. He's been a winner everywhere that he's gone as a coach. Uh, So I can't imagine that he wouldn't be able to put himself in a situation to surround himself with the right people, get the right players, to put himself in an opportunity and a chance to win a Super Bowl. He's got the natty that he wanted with Michigan here. Uh, He continues to always just flirt with the NFL, so go for it. Go to the NFL. 
I'm pretty much the same uh, ballpark that you are for the same reasons. Uh, obviously, won the ultimate goal in college, winning the national championship with Michigan and beating Ohio State for three consecutive years to do that. Uh, and there's no doubt, there seems to be nobody in the NFL actually believes he's going to stay in college. And the other thing is nobody believes that uh, he does not long, I guess, long to win the Super Bowl. Uh, which eluded him the first time he was in San Francisco when he lost to his brother in the Super Bowl. The Chargers, they obviously have an established quarterback in Justin Herbert, but they got a whole lot of other roster issues, and I'm told that they're in salary cap hell. Uh, so those things are, yeah, I think, uh, I'm sure Harbaugh, he's a smart dude. Uh, I'm sure he knows about all that. And, uh, you know, but uh, I just think that the Chargers, between these two, is the better choice right now. Yeah, Michigan, he lost you know, 44 seniors. I keep going back to that. That's an enormous amount in college football. Also, some of the underclassmen have now declared to go to the NFL, including a couple of guys that I doubt doubt, doubt whether Michigan thought they were going to go early to the NFL. I don't blame them. Uh, you know, Go to the NFL and get, get your money, even though you know the NIL thing has changed that a little bit if you're not a first-round pick. But, you know, so I don't blame them. But, you know, you know the, 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 uh, the, the roster is not going to be nearly as strong at Michigan this uh, next year as it was this past year. So throw all that together, and I think that the Chargers, even with all their you know, roster limitations right now, are, that would be the better choice. Now, I have one question here for you. If we were to take out Chargers and put in Falcons, leaving for the Falcons, would that change your answer at all? I'm not. That's a good question. I'm not sure. First up, you need to know who the quarterback's going to be. Is it going to be Justin Fields? It's certainly not going to be either the clowns they had in there last year. Uh, clowns said with you know, full respect, but the quarterback clowns, they were not good by either of them. Uh, and certainly not playoff-worthy you know, quarterbacks. Uh, so there's that. And I'm not familiar with their salary cap situation. The only reason I'm familiar with the Chargers' salary cap situation because for like a month I've heard many people say who you know understand the cap you know far better than me, which you know hell a dead man would understand the cap more than I would. But uh, you know they're, they're they got problems. I'm not sure what's going on in the Atlanta. Atlanta has players, though, certainly, I think, on both sides of the ball. Something we talked about frequently when we discussed the Falcons throughout the regular season. They've got some studs on both sides of the ball. There's a lot going on there as far as personnel goes. And to my knowledge, they're not in the similar salary cap situation. And part of this is because they paid Herbert in San Diego. Excuse me, there we go. (laughs) In Los Angeles, the Chargers paid him uh, before the season started. And obviously, the the the, uh, the uh, Falcons quarterback situation, they're not paying any of those guys. And I, I would be uh, somewhat surprised if uh, – well, I should rephrase that because I'm guessing that yeah, Ritter probably could come back as a backup quarterback, but he's certainly not going to be a starting quarterback, and there's no way they're paying him uh, you know, anything long-term based on what we've seen with him so far in the NFL. Uh, just in a brief over-the-cap look, uh, the Falcons have projected about $35 million in cap space, so that's much better than the Chargers situation. Or like $10 billion over the cap, apparently. So there you go. 
Uh, the masses, though, uh, they're on the leaving for the Chargers side of things. It's 69.3% of the votes. Staying at Michigan is sitting at 30.7%. This is over on X at KDOS AM 1060. We wrap it up on the other side of the break. One final reminder for the day that there's some sixth row hoops tickets available for you. All the food, all the drink included. Downtown Phoenix is the contest. All you have to do is download the KDOS 1060 app, register so we know who you are and how to find you if you are the winner, and punch your ticket to six throw hoops tickets from downtown Phoenix. This contest running through the end of January. We wrap it up on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Teams Out West brings NFL, NBA, MLB, and local sports talk to you Monday night starting at 7 on KDUS AM 1060 and the KDUS 1060 app. AM 1060 online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos1060 app bob it's thank you time as always we thank you for listening special thanks to the callers emailers tweeters texters whomever and whatever else slipped through the cracks also today we had to thank our guest uh, a ravens and chiefs preview with luke jones who's been on this show many times over the last decade or so from wnst.net in baltimore on Thursday at 10:15, we'll have the latest on the Lions heading into the uh, the NFC Championship game this upcoming Sunday. By the way, on Friday at 10:15, we'll preview and get predictions from both games from Josh Alper of Pro Football Talk. Saturday, courtesy of ESPN, CBS, the Wolverine, which is a Michigan football and basketball website, Three TV, also Bally Sports Detroit. MLB and uh, the Yes Network for some of those baseball Hall of Fame highlights that we played at the top of the Sports Zone today. And special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us now what's coming up next. Up next from 1 to 3 p.m. is the Doug Gottlieb Show, followed by the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5. The Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6 tonight. And no top of the valley with Coach A and Jeff Munn for ASU Women's Basketball today. They're off this week uh, for the show, but they will be returning next week. Uh, that will return next week at 7 p.m. Uh, Bob, you saw something, though, pertaining to the health status update of uh, San Francisco wide receiver Debo Samuel. Yeah, uncertain, and I have not got – I heard just a snippet here of Shanahan, but that was like midway through the press conference, which is now concluded. So uh, yeah, at some point apparently he said uncertain. And Shanahan's been a guy that's been really upfront about injuries in the past. Uh, him and also Sean McVay have been uh, at the top of my list as, uh, you know, you seem to be able to believe them. 
However, this is a championship week, and maybe for competitive reasons, maybe not a little less less reluctant to give out the truth, or maybe he is speaking the truth. But uh, I'm guessing when we go to one of the poll questions tomorrow is going to be San Francisco and Detroit. I think I'm probably going to have a similar answer. We just talked about Tooney in this hour. Uh, you know, the status of Debo I think is even far more significant than Tooney's status with the Chiefs. You've probably seen this. Because how could you not? Uh, CBS Sports' Chiefs and Bills averaged 50.393 million viewers, becoming the most-watched NFL divisional playoff game ever and the first ever to surpass 50 million. You know, uh, then in addition to that, one more here. Ravens and Texans averaged 31.8 million, peaked at 36.8 million, making it Disney's most-watched ever non-Super Bowl game. Uh, these numbers have we've talked about them all year long, and they just continue to increase and kind of have uh, eye popping and jaw dropping numbers associated to them. Is there anything that you can pinpoint to? Is it really legalized sports wagering becoming so accessible at your fingertips on your phone in most states now that is driving this? Or what could potentially be the reason for this insane popularity of football in the NFL? I think the gambling had something to do with the regular season this past weekend. You know, a lot of the United States was in horrendous weather situations. People couldn't even go outside in many of the Midwestern and Eastern locations. So you know, usually when there's bad weather, television ratings spiral. Uh, between that and the fact that these games were, you know, very entertaining, and entertaining, competitive, and fun, uh, you can throw those things together this week. Yeah, the Chiefs and the Bills game just had that intensity level right from the start. Exactly what you would be looking for from a playoff game. Yeah, I talked to somebody in Chicago yesterday, and yeah, they hadn't gone outside for like two days. Uh, so just to give you an example, how that uh, it's just, and it's actually been worse in the East. Uh, I mean, there there's some situations in New York which are just dire, uh, the state of New York and the city for that matter. So uh, that plays a big role. I think that uh, I'm guessing these numbers were even bigger than they would have been anyway because of the, you know, where are you going to (laughs) go? So you're not going out and running around the block or anything or even going to the store for that matter. Suns Mavs, 6.30 p.m. on ABC. That's tonight. We'll discuss it tomorrow. The Sports Zone with Bob Kemp gets things started for us starting at 10 a.m. The Extra Point following suit. Looking forward to it. Talk to you then.